The following resource is from Christ Community Church. For more information, please visit lovinglord.org. Heavenly Father, we have been so blessed these last several weeks examining the story of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz and you by your Spirit examining us. We're so thankful, Father, that we get this opportunity today to look at this incredible chapter of of risk and redemption. I ask, Lord, that as we see the great movement of Ruth going out to Boaz and him as a kinsman redeemer providing her rest, I pray we would see that Christ has done that for us, that he has come and that he has given his life that we might find true rest, true protection, and true provision in him. I ask, Lord, that you would help us be a people who take right risks, that we would not be afraid of being alienated by this world, that we would not be afraid to put all of our trust and our hope in Christ. Cause us this morning, if you would, Lord, to take off all the false coverings and all the worldly protections that really provide no protection and to put on Christ instead. Show us, Lord, that he is worthy of being our Lord and King. I pray, Lord, that you would rightly stir our hearts this morning and in so doing transform us into your very image. Whatever noise we came into this sanctuary with, whatever problems we experienced this week, I pray, Lord, you would allow this 45 to 50 minutes to be one of great adoration and worship towards you. That we would not allow our minds to wander We would not close off our ears to difficult teaching, but instead we would listen by the power of your Spirit and we would submit and we would worship. Do not let this be a time of futility, Lord, but a time of great worship. You are certainly worthy of it. Do it for our benefit and for your glory, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Sunday mornings can be hard, can't they? I mean, they can be hard. Sometimes it's hard just getting here. And and certainly sitting through teaching and preaching can be hard at times. I want to encourage you with all the might of the Holy Spirit to listen and, and hear and receive God's word. Eat on God's word. It is delicious and it is profitable. So let's do that right now. Ruth chapter three. We're gonna be looking at the whole chapter. Do not be overwhelmed. I'm not going to super exegete every single verse. I will not do that to you. It is a holistic unit. This story must go together. There was no good place to break it in Ruth three and hence we're doing the whole chapter. The title of the sermon is Taking Risks to Find Rest. Taking Risks to Find Rest. So risk, that idea of being exposed to danger it's, it's not just something we experience in the Western world. I know we always think that whatever we're experiencing is just what we experience and no one else in the world does. Actually, our risk experience is quite low as Christians compared to other parts of the world. Risk, as fallen creatures living in a fallen world, is part of everyday life. We, we have to experience it because sin is a real part of our daily experience. In fact, I would argue that Every single one of us, each and every day, when you get up and you begin to go about your day, you are engaging in some risky behavior, some more so than others. Um, Our our brother Dave, I don't know if you know this, our brother Dave, he drives all night 
He drives a semi filled with fuel. Very, very dangerous job. He takes a great risk. I'm thankful it's him and not others because that makes us safer. Our, our dear brother Kenny, he spends a lot of his days going up and down ladders and scurrying on top of roofs like Santa's reindeer. Great risk to him. And our homeschool moms, well, what do I have to say? You have to put on the mom teacher hat and you enter battle every single day. Great risk for all involved. So we all take risks. And we're always taking risks to find some sort of protection, some sort of rest, some sort of provision in our lives. In, in chapter one of, of the book of Ruth, we saw that Naomi, she, she had been out for 10 years in Moab. She had suffered the loss of her husband and her two sons. And, and she, by God's grace, made her way back to Bethlehem, but she was in a, a, a horrible place. She was bitter and destitute. And, and she came back hoping for some relief of some kind. Chapter two, if you remember, we had a chance to see God intervened and he started to move to bring redemption to, to Naomi primarily and then Ruth and Boaz subsequently. And we saw God bring Boaz and Ruth together in the field and we saw Boaz begin to protect and provide for Ruth in a, in a very supernatural and really sweet way. And, and he said to her, I've heard about you. I've heard about how you have served your mother-in-law so faithfully. And, and so we saw God bringing them together. And so at the end of, end of chapter two, we had this, this ray of hope that maybe things are gonna change. Maybe Naomi won't end her life in a state of poverty and destitution. Maybe, just maybe. And we pick up, we get to pick up chapter three here. We're six to eight weeks later. So when you finish chapter two and you begin chapter three, verse one, you gotta move forward six to eight weeks in time. It's the end of the harvest season. And, and what we're gonna find here is that Ruth, per Naomi's recommendation, took some incredible risks to find herself rest, to find protection and provision under a potential husband who would provide her with a home and children. She's gonna take the risk of being misunderstood. She's gonna take the risk of being alienated by her community. She's actually gonna take the risk of faith. She's gonna step out on faith, listen to Naomi, and go, proposed to Boaz, which in that time was unheard of because she's looking for a covering. She's looking for someone who will protect and provide for her for the rest of her life. Now, as we consider Ruth's midnight raid into Boaz's threshing floor, as we contemplate the risk that she has taken, I want us to do two things. I want us to contemplate the coverings that we've put upon ourselves or maybe we've had the culture put on us the means by which we seek protection and provision in our own lives. And I also want us to consider the risk that we've taken, if we claim Christ, the risk that we've taken to go out to him and to have him be our covering. Good questions that we can contemplate as we look through these next few scenes in Ruth chapter three. I, I, I hope you're excited. I mean, this, you cannot be, I'll give you a double negative. You cannot not be excited in the book of Ruth. It is just such an amazing story. So today we're gonna to look at three scenes in Ruth three, scene one, the risk of being alienated to find rest. What's the risk involved? Scene number two, the risk of faith that is required to find rest. And number three, the risk rewarded to find rest. Right, we're gonna, we're gonna to come to the end of three and it's gonna be better than the end of chapter two and you're gonna be hopefully really, really excited. Scene one, the risk of being alienated to find rest. Look at verse one. 
So we're six to eight weeks now from the end of chapter two. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, said to Ruth, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our, our relative with whose young women you were? Up to this point in the narrative, Naomi has not impressed us much. Right? Lots of disobedience, lots of bitterness. Uh, an angry old woman would describe her well. Very self-centered. It was Naomi, Naomi, Naomi. But time had passed. She's now not starving to death. In fact, there's plenty of food, so that's off the, off the plate, no pun intended. And she comes out of her, her self-centered coma. Did you notice that? Verse 1, she says, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? So this is Ruth who had committed her whole life to Naomi and she's now spent six to eight weeks laboring hard in Boaz's field to feed Naomi while Naomi stayed at home. And so Naomi wakes up and she says, wait, wait a second, what about you? I need to do something for you. I'm responsible. And she was, as a mother-in-law, responsible for her future well-being. She says, I'm gonna, I get, we got to find you rest. And she meant a husband, someone that she could marry and have a home with and have children with. I want to find you rest. And so she, she suggests a potential suitor. You can see what Naomi's doing, can't you? I mean, the wheels are turning. Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match, right? In a very good way, in a very good way. Look at, look at verse 2. Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? So she, she was out in the fields with Boaz's women. She knows Boaz. They've already experienced his incredible blessing. And she goes, he's, he's a relative. And now we know from the Redeemer laws we looked at last week, and we'll look at them in a little more detail today, that he's a potential spouse. He's a potential husband. He's a potential covering for our beloved Ruth. Now six to eight weeks have passed, and there's no indication that Boaz had any interest in Ruth. And, and there's probably good reason for that. She was, she was probably still in mourning of Malon, probably still adorning mourning clothes. So it, was, it would have been taboo for a man to approach her. And, and we also know from the dialogue you heard read that Boaz is a little older, and she's a little younger. And so he's probably thinking, she's, she's way too young for me. I mean, she's, she's, um, I'm too old for her. And so he probably, out of, out of cultural kindness, did not approach her for, um, as a potential spouse. Either way, Naomi's cooking it up in her mind. She's thinking, maybe, just maybe, he's a relative. Maybe he's the one. Look at the latter part of verse 2. She says, see, he's winnowing barley tonight at the th threshing floor. Now, I know we don't live in a cultural moment that that makes any sense to us. Um, at the end of the harvest season, when all the weed and all the barley was in, then the farmers would actually begin to winnow it. They would separate like wheat and chaff. They would go to the threshing floor, and there were several different means of doing that, but what they were doing is they were consolidating the wheat or consolidating the barley in order to use it for food production. Now, what we probably don't know is that the threat of thieves and animals stealing the food was high, and so it was not uncommon for the owners of the fields to go out and sleep on the threshing floor in order to make sure that unwanted guests did not come and take the crop, right? So they were going to go and they were going to protect the crop. Naomi's aware of this, and so she knows that Boaz is going to be there on his threshing floor. Look at verse 3. So she says to Ruth, Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. That's where Boaz was. 
but do not make yourself known to the man, Boaz, until he has finished eating and drinking. So she instructs Ruth to make herself presentable. Go take a shower, put on a little bit of perfume, take off your morning clothes, put on an outer garment that is presentable. She's, she's recommending she prepare herself as a woman would before marriage or sexual intimacy. Hence the potential for confusion. And then she says, don't present yourself to Boaz until after he's had something to eat and drink and he's gone to bed. Look at verse 4. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. That can also be translated uncover his legs and lie down, which is probably more accurate. And then he will tell you what to do. So let me make something really, really clear because there's a great debate on this. Naomi was not recommending Ruth go have a sexual encounter with Boaz. That's not what she's recommending here. Even though the language can be sexually charged in the, in the Hebrew, Boaz is too honorable of a man for that, and, and Naomi is looking for a husband, not a one-night stand with Ruth's boss, right? So she's looking for rest, she's looking for a husband, she's looking for a home, and she says, go and uncover his feet, go uncover his legs. And that's, this sounds very odd, but th- that would have been symbolic, you'll see in a minute, for an invitation to marry her, to, to um, enter into matrimony with Ruth. She said, Un- uncover his feet, uncover his legs, and then lie down, not next to him, but just lie so that when he wakes up, he can see you, and he'll know that someone's there. Now, the reason that this is such a risky endeavor, I mean, you probably already know that already based upon how she's prepared herself to be seen by Boaz, But what we probably don't know is that threshing floors during the winnowing season was a time when prostitutes would come out from the town and sleep with the landowners, right? I mean, they're they're away, they're away from their wives, and it was a good opportunity for local prostitutes to make a little bit of cash. So threshing floors during the winnow season were known as a place of sexual morality or, or ill repute. And so women going out there, well, that wasn't a good thing especially adorned as Ruth was. So Ruth is taking a huge risk here that she's going to be misinterpreted by Boaz and possibly maligned and alienated after that by Boaz and the larger community. Boaz had three ways to to read what Ruth was doing. Number one, he could, you know, maybe wake up, he had some food and some drink. He wasn't drunk, he was just, he was relaxed. So he goes to bed, he wakes up a little bit groggy and he sees a woman and he could have indulged himself and taken advantage. That's one way to interpret it. Interpretation number two, Boaz could have thought that Ruth was engaging in prostitution and realized, what kind of woman are you? Dismissing her and possibly cutting off all the blessings that he had already provided and any future blessings that would come. That was another way of misinterpretation. The third way is that he could actually understand what she was doing there and respond correctly. So, so two out of these three potential responses by Boaz would have been catastrophic. Not only cut off from Boaz, but she'd have been known now in the community as what? As the Moabite prostitute. As the Moabite woman of ill repute that was trying to seduce Boaz in the middle of the night. That was the risk that she was taking upon herself by going out there. She's fully aware of these dangers, and yet she goes anyway. She goes She risks misunderstanding. She risks alienation in order to find a covering. Look at verse 5. She replied, 
to Naomi, all that you say I will do. She says, I'm up for the plan. Scene number two, the risk of faith required to find rest. Look at verse six. So she, Ruth, went down to the threshing floor, that's where Boaz would be, and just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, not drunk, just joyful, satisfied, he's probably satisfied for lots of reasons. I mean, he's, he's sleeping on the threshing floor filled with barley from the end of the season. It, it's good. It's a good time for him. He went, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet, his legs, and lay down. So Ruth's a good daughter-in-law. She follows Naomi's instructions to a T. She lies down. So Boaz's legs are exposed. She lies down, probably toward his feet, and, and waits for Boaz to respond. Verse 8. At midnight, the man was startled, and he, he turned over. He, he's probably startled because in, in the evening, the cool breeze would come in, and now his legs are cold. And so it, he wakes up in order to cover his legs. And he turns over, probably groping for his blanket, and he sees someone down near his feet. Verse eight, he says, behold, a woman, the narrator says, behold, a woman lay at his feet, and he said, who are you? I mean, who, who are you? Who, who's down by my feet? That have scared me to death. But he's, he's probably assuming it's a prostitute who's there to, to make a buck, right? I mean, that was not uncommon. And her response is precious. Look at, look at verse nine. And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. This is, this is truly an amazing verse. If I were Charles Spurgeon, I'd preach my entire sermon on this single verse. But I'm not Spurgeon, I couldn't even do that. She answers with humility. Did you notice that? She says, I am Ruth, your servant. She doesn't say, I am Ruth, the wife of Malon, which would have been the appropriate designation. She leaves that off entirely because she wants to know I'm available for marriage. According to the ESV, you probably, well, you heard me read it. She says, spread your wings over your servant. And that, that coincides, remember the prayer that Boaz prayed to God for her in chapter two, that she had come under Yahweh's wings and that protection that God was providing? Um, that could be the case. In other words, Ruth is saying to Boaz, Spread your wings over me, cover me as a husband. Marry me and provide the protection and provision that I need as a woman. But in the Hebrew, it can actually, that word wing can actually be defined as, as skirt or garment, which is probably better. In fact, all the other translations except for the ESV render it garment. And why is that significant? So the NIV translates Ruth as saying to Boaz, spread the corner of your garment over me. Now again, in the Near Eastern culture, it was, it was common for men, husbands in particular, to put their outer garment over their wife or a part of that in order to designate, this is my wife. It was an indication that she was married to the man who did that. In fact, a little bit later in the redemptive story, as God is telling Ezekiel how he's going to redeem the Israelites out of their captivity in Babylon, uh, God said this to the prophet, listen, this is Ezekiel 16.8, God speaking of his relationship with his people. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. This is God to his people. 
I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you. That's a covenant of marriage, declares the Lord, and you became mine. You, Israel, became my wife. I like garment here better than wing, even though I love that imagery of the, the wings of God covering us. Garment, I think, is better because it actually coincides with the whole plan, right? In verse four, Naomi says to Ruth, go uncover his legs, uncover his feet. And in so doing, not only is he gonna wake up because he's gonna be cold, but Boaz, she's saying, Boaz, awaken from your slumber and see that I am here, Ruth, wanting to be married. She uncovers Boaz as a symbol of wanting to be covered by him. It's actually a very beautiful, so she's saying spread your garment over your servant and then she tells him why. She says because you're, you're a redeemer. You're a redeemer. God is so gracious in his law. When he was giving the law to Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 25, he set up what's called the, the leveret marriage or a way that if a woman was married and she didn't have any children yet and her husband died, let's say in battle or, or due to sickness, um, God put in his word a means for that woman to be remarried and actually remarried to, if available, to her husband's brother. Now, I know today we hear that and we're like, ew, ugh. Right? But it wasn't. It wasn't then. It was in the context of the community in order to support, support both the widow and the community. Listen, this is Deuteronomy 25.5. It's very specific. It says, if brothers dwell together, if brothers dwell together, and, and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. So it, it was a means of protecting her inside the family. Listen to this. Her husband's brother shall go to her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. In other words, to marry her and to have children and establish the home. It was really beautiful in protecting women who lost their husbands in a time when it was very difficult for a woman to sustain her own life. So being the widow of her deceased husband, Malon, Ruth is saying to Boaz, be a kinsman redeemer. And, and, but she's saying it loosely. She's not demanding it. One of the commentaries saying was she was demanding it. She doesn't have any right to demand it because Boaz was not Malon's brother. Right? He's in the family line. He is in the family line of Elimelech, which of course was the father of Malon. And so she's just saying to him, listen, in the spirit of the law of leveret marriage, in the spirit of Deuteronomy 25.5, which Boaz absolutely knew, she's saying, here's a good idea. Why don't you cover me? Why don't you come and be my protector and my provider? Come to me, be my husband, provide us a home, provide us with children, because he obviously at that point was not married. She wanted him to say yes, right? She's proposing marriage. And she wants him to say, yes, I will spread my garment over you, I will make you my wife. Now I know in our cultural moment, it's it, well, it still kind of is, but it's really not. If you hear of a woman proposing to a man, you don't go, oh, unbelievable, right? It's not that uncommon today. In Ruth's time, completely unheard of. In fact, it was unheard of for a man to propose to a woman. The parents actually made the decision for who was going to marry whom. Completely unheard of that a woman would propose to a man, and even more so given the characters that we're dealing with here. Ruth's, Ruth's a servant, Boaz is the master. Ruth's young. Boaz at least is older. We don't know how old. 
Ruth is a Moabite foreigner, a woman from another country, and Boaz is an upstanding citizen of Bethlehem, a worthy man in his community. Ruth's proposal crosses every social, ethnic, and cultural barrier imaginable. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a, an extreme proposal in every capacity with the risk being total rejection. Total rejection by Boaz and ultimate rejection by the community. And she finds herself back out again scavenging for food. So Ruth takes this massive step of faith, and it was an incredible step of faith, listening to Naomi and putting her hope that Boaz would in fact be her redeemer. Thankfully, we know the story by God's sovereign decree, and it was God doing all this. The risk paid off. Scene three, the risk rewarded to find rest. So Ruth's actions are extraordinary. She risks everything in her moment to go and make a a proposal of marriage to her boss. (laughs) Boaz's response, though, is equally extraordinary. Look at verse 10. And Boaz said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. And you're like, oh, wow. That's the second time he's used that term for her. Remember when they first met in the field? He called her his daughter. And he he does the same here. It is a term of endearment. She's, I mean, the poor thing, she's probably shaking. She was probably so nervous, right? And, And he's calming her down. It's such a tender moment. He says, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. So she doesn't know his answer, but she knows he's going to be kind to her. It's a very precious moment. Continuing in verse 10, he says, you have made this last kindness, the offer of proposal, greater, greater than the first. That was her caring for Naomi. It's amazing he's making that comparison. In that, you have not gone after younger men, whether poor or rich. And he's saying, so your kindness, Naomi, was amazing, but this is even more amazing to me. Boaz said, I can't believe that you want me, an older man, to marry you. The question is, will he say yes to the proposal? Look at verse 11. He says, and now, my daughter, do not fear. He repeats it again. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. He says, yes. (laughs) He says, yes. I will do for you all that you ask. He says, I will be your redeemer. I'll be the wing that covers you. I'll take my garment and put it over you. I'll be your husband. I'll provide you a home, and Lord willing, I will provide you with children and a family. I will redeem you back into the status you so long to have. And then he tells her why. Look at the latter part of verse 11 again. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. So Ruth, remember, she comes with Naomi. She comes to Bethlehem absolutely destitute. She has nothing. She's poverty-stricken. She's a sunless Moabite widow, bottom of the bottom of the social stratum, and she's forced to scavenge for food behind Boaz's laborers in the field. But what's so amazing, in a few short weeks, no more than eight, probably closer to six, her, her love for Naomi, the sacrifice she made to, to, to leave her people and her, and her parents and come to, to Bethlehem, Uh, her service in the field working hard to support Naomi when Naomi was not working herself. 
She had gained reputation in the community as a worthy woman. If you remember chapter 2, verse 1, that's how we were introduced to Boaz. He was a what? A worthy man, upstanding in the community. And suddenly you have now Ruth and Boaz, worthy woman, worthy man, perfectly suitable for marriage. And this is the climax of the story to this point. And for those of you who are romantic like me, you're super excited. Like, oh, this is so good. This is so good. Ruth's going to have her man. He's such a good man. And she's obviously such a good woman. They're so worthy to become husband and wife like this. And we're super excited. And then we hit verse 12. And you get to a problem. But it, it has to be there because it's a good story, right? You got to have the tension in there. So verse 12, she's like, She's like at 30,000 feet. She's flying high, right? And then he says, uh, uh, wait a minute. <laughs> Don't get too excited. And now it's true that I am a redeemer. I'm a, I'm a relative of your family that can engage in this redemptive process. Yet, but, there's a redeemer nearer than I. Someone closer biologically to Elimelech and Malon. In other words, he doesn't have the first right of refusal. There's someone closer who has first right of refusal. Now, the narrator doesn't tell us, but I can, I can only imagine Ruth's face went from, oh, oh. We don't, we don't ever find out who this person is, but, I mean, she knows Boaz. She doesn't know who this other person is who will have first right of refusal. So Boaz says to her, look at verse 13. Remain tonight on the threshing floor, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, this, this other redeemer, he says, good, Let him do it, but if he is not willing to redeem you, then listen to this. As the Lord lives, Boaz says, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So Boaz is a worthy man. He's not going to violate the word of God. right? He wants to adhere to the word of God. He knows as a redeemer closer to Ruth than he is. So he's going to go, and he's going to inquire, do you want to marry her or not? Now, what's so amazing, these last few words, he says, lie down until the morning. He's saying to her, you can, you can rest now. And it's probably the first time she's had a good night's sleep since her husband died. Because she knows, she knows, it may not be Boaz, but she knows she will have a redeemer. Boaz swore, by God's name, it will be me if it's not him, but someone will redeem you. And so she's probably able to close her eyes for the first time in weeks or months and sleep well. She can what? She can rest. She can rest because she knows she's not going to be left destitute, homeless, without a family or without a future. It is a, a glorious point in our story where Ruth is tasting rest again for the first time. Verse 14, so she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another, and he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. So, I mean, he's the consummate gentleman. It's, it would not be good for her to be seen there, right? That's where prostitutes are coming to sleep with the, with the farmers. And so um, he wants her gone before anybody else wakes up before she's mistaken as either a prostitute or a woman of ill repute. Verse 15, and he said, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it out and measured out six measures of barley. We don't know how much that is, lots of guessing, we don't know. It was not so much she couldn't carry it home and put it on her and then she 
she went into the city. Some translations say he went into the city. It's probably Boaz. It doesn't matter. They're both, they're going separate ways. She's taking a grain offering, a barley, and going home to Naomi, and he's going to go into the city and find this other redeemer so he can take care of matters and see if he can have Ruth as his wife. Chapter 3 ends like chapter 2 with Ruth going back home and, and retelling the events. This is a nice summary way for the narrator to retell the events to Naomi to keep it in our And then giving Naomi a gift. The gift is actually for Naomi. Um, a kinsman redeemer, Boaz, to his kinsman, which would have been Naomi specifically. Um, some argue that it was actually a down payment. The six measures of barley, was, I, I'm, I'm putting a down payment on because if this guy says, no, I'm in, I want first slot. Not that they would be debating over that. Verse 18, this is the end of our chapter. She, Naomi, replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle, settle the matter today. So she's confident that Boaz is going to go find this guy and take care of matters, and by the end of the day, Ruth is going to know who she's going to marry. Not if she will marry, but who she will marry. And the final comment, Naomi's final comment, draws the curtains of Acts, Act 3, Ruth 3, to a close. And each character, I don't know if you noticed, each character deserves a standing ovation. Every single one. Naomi, for the first time in two full chapters, comes out of her self-induced, self-centered coma and says, you know what? I need to be thinking about your future. I need to think about your rest. And she finally begins to think about Ruth's well-being instead of just her own. Ruth, of course, she's, she's the heroine here. She takes all these incredible risks to go out to Boaz, risking the, 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 the danger of being alienated, of being misunderstood, possibly risking that faith of saying, I'm, I'm going to ask for this man in marriage, him saying no and rejecting me, and maybe, me, maybe throwing me off his property altogether. And, of course, Boaz... We expected him to respond like this. Right? I mean, he's, he's a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, and, and he has shown nothing but God-honoring response toward Ruth. And he responds by saying yes to her hand in marriage. Chapter 3 ends hopeful, uncertain. We don't, we don't know how it's going to play out yet, but we're super hopeful. And and if you're like me and you're reading through this, just enjoying the story, you're so excited for, you're really excited for Ruth. She's, she's going to have her wedding day. But aren't you rooting for Boaz? I mean, you want it to be Boaz. She's going to be redeemed no matter what, but you really want it to be Boaz. We don't know who this other guy is, but he can't be better than Boaz. That's me. <laughs> it ends hopeful. But I would argue for us as the reader, it also ends in a challenging way. But I remember it's in the book for us to, to hear, understand, and reflect upon our, our own lives, upon our own covering. So we should be elated for Ruth, but we should be asking ourselves, well, who's my covering? What's my covering? Do I even have a covering? It, it should be challenging for us to, to consider our own coverings and, and the risks that Ruth made to get one through Boaz and the risk that we take or don't take to get to Christ. Challenging, it should be, I think. You see, my friends, Naomi and Ruth's crisis of being uncovered, of being unprotected, of needing 
protection and provision. We know that's the universal plight of all mankind. It wasn't just their little situation, their little crisis moment in Bethlehem. All mankind enters this world in crisis, without protection, without provision, as a result of our sin. You remember what Adam and Eve did after they sinned? What was the first thing they did after they sinned? They went, "Uh uh-oh. They realized they were naked. They sought coverings, and they hid from God. Genesis 3, listen. After they sinned, the eyes of both were opened. Remember, they are now guilty of sinning against God. Their eyes were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. In other words, sin came in and it left them totally exposed, truly naked, spiritually and physically naked, as it does us. Sin leaves us vulnerable. It separates us from God. It removes God who is our true covering and it puts every single one of us in need of finding a covering, of going out and finding a means to cover our own shame and our own sin. And so we seek it Summon God, most in the culture, here in Silicon Valley, we, we, have all, we have all kinds of very strange coverings, you know that. I mean, when you think about a covering, what do you need for protection and provision in this life and in the next? Well, we say success, right? You need to get that job in that company and that position and that salary. So we, we try to cover ourselves with our work. We try to cover ourselves with our with our bank accounts. Do you think your bank account's gonna do you much good in the eternal realm? Do you think the US dollar will be devalued just a little bit in the presence of Almighty God? We cover ourselves today, now listen very closely, for those of you who spend a lot of time on social media. We cover ourselves today, working really hard to present ourselves to a a virtual community that affirms us. And in their affirmation, we have some sort of a covering. We cover ourselves with things like that latest restaurant that you were at that you, we all need a little bit longer arms to take that selfie so you can get the background in. Or maybe, maybe it was that, that Taylor Swift concert. God forbid. Maybe, maybe that vacation destination, maybe adorning that, that latest fashion trend, maybe you retweeting the most tweetable quote of that day. Whatever it is that you're doing to impress others that they might affirm you and you now have what? You have a covering. You have a covering. Whatever, my beloved, the cultural covering you choose is, whatever it is, no matter how effective you think it is at providing you protection and provision, it is no more powerful than those silly little fig leaves that Adam and Eve sewed together to cover their loins. Yes, that foolish that foolish, our sins have left us empty, like Naomi, bitter, and fully exposed to both God and man. There's no lasting rest and there's no power of provision and protection by any covering this world has to offer. And certainly no covering other than Jesus Christ that you will be confident in on your deathbed before you take your last breath. We can fool ourselves now. We can have protection and provision, success, money, friends, or whatever it is, and you can think you're covering yourself now, but when you're on your deathbed, and if you've spent time with those who are dying, and I've been blessed to have that opportunity, you know they're not talking about any of those things. 
they know, everyone knows in those final moments of life, those coverings do not work. And they will not work for you on the day of judgment standing before a thrice holy God. The good thing is, my beloved, God knows this too. He knows this. In fact, he knew it back in Genesis chapter 3. He wasn't shocked. He wasn't surprised. Like, oh, look look what they did. They sinned against me and now they have fig leaves and they look silly. God comes in in Genesis chapter 3 and you know what he did. He sacrificed the first animal. Did he not? The first animal he sacrificed. He spilled its blood and he used its skin, its flesh, to make a covering, to make clothes for Adam and Eve. And this was not a fashion statement. This was a true, real covering made by the sacrifice of one of his creatures. 2,000 years ago, God knew the same problem for man existed, that we are fully exposed to our sin. And so he sacrificed his own beloved son on the cross. He shed his blood and he broke his body to provide you with a real covering now and for eternity. A covering that enables you to be forgiven of your sins in total, to come under the covering of a crucified, risen Redeemer and enjoy, and really enjoy, the protection and provision that God offers you as what? As a member of His bride coming into the church. 2,000 years ago, listen, Christ, 2,000 years ago, Christ willingly drew back His garment when He ascended the cross. He literally ascended the cross naked. He drew back His garment completely so that through His death and His resurrection, He could take the garment of righteousness, his righteousness, and cover you with it entirely to cover your nakedness, which is the result of sin. After he sat down, very much like Boaz, and had food and drink at the Last Supper with the disciples, after he ate with them the last time, we know that Jesus closed his eyes on the threshing floor of the cross and he made himself like chaff. Chaff was the, was the byproduct of the wheat. It was the stuff that was to be burned in the fire. He made himself like chaff and experienced the unrest of the fires of hell so that we could what? We who are chaff, who deserve the fires of hell, we can be made into barley. Beautiful fruit of God brought into the house of God as sons and daughters of the Most High. Jesus did all this because he's your, he's your Boaz, right? The love story is, the love story about Ruth and Boaz, it's great, but the real love story is between God and man through Christ. It's Jesus, the groom, and his bride, the church. Christ is your greater Boaz. Christ is your consummate, eternal, once and forever redeemer. He's your husband, he's your covering in this life and in the next. But you need to know the only way that you can receive the covering of Christ is if you, like Ruth, take a great risk. Naomi had a plan for Ruth to have rest. She said, make yourself pretty, go out to the threshing floor, and ask Boaz, your redeemer, to be your husband so that you can have identity in him and joy in him. She took great risks, being misunderstood, potentially alienated, potentially cast out. I mean, she's a Moabite woman. 
Remember, it was the Moabite women in the desert who seduced the Israelite men. Friends, God has a a great plan for you. For you to have what? To have rest. To have protection and provision under the garment of God. But in order to get that, you have to go out to the threshing floor of Christ, and that's the cross. You have to go out to Him. You have to take the risk of being misunderstood. You have to take the risk of being alienated by family and friends and coworkers and maybe even your boss. You have to take that risk. You have to go out to Christ in a Hebrews 13 sense, going outside the camp and what? Bearing the reproach that Christ endured if you want his covering. In fact, you can't have the covering unless you take the risk to go to Christ. How can you have the covering of Christ if you won't go to Christ? See, by, by coming to Christ, you are willfully saying, I want your covering, Jesus, and I'm gonna take off all the rest. I'm going to shed all these worldly coverings, all these false coverings that provide protection and provision, but really don't. It means you seeking your identity, seeking your joy, not in your marriage, but in your marriage with Jesus. It means striving to fill yourself, not with entertainment or friends or social media, but with Christ. It's pursuing lasting joy Listen, that, that really lasts. I mean, we make all these plans, don't we? We plan, we plan these long weekends, these vacations. We plan for that new car or that new home. And when you're experiencing it, and when you get it, there's that sense of joy. And then a week later, it's, it's gone. You're like, I, I, I wish I could get that back. In fact, they've done s- some great studies on, on post-vacation blues. <laughs> Well, of course, why? seven days, you're, you're not working, you're relaxing, you're enjoying you know, friends and family, and then back at work on Monday. Of course, the joy does not last in all the coverings of the world, but it does last in Christ, because Christ is your joy. In going out to Jesus, you are saying to Jesus, I want you to identify me. I want you to cover me. I want you to be my husband, I want you to protect and provide for me. But when you do, you, you, you probably know this, there are gonna be people who are very confused about your choice, right? I mean, if you really follow Christ, they're, they're gonna wanna know, what, what do you do at that, that church on Sunday? Why are you there so long? Well, what are you doing there all day? I mean, it's, your, it's, it's, you know, it's a day to play, why are, you, why are you there? And, and why are you so devoted to this, this word, this book? Why are you trying to understand this and submit to it? Why, why are you doing that? And, and why do you sacrifice? And why do you serve? And why are you trying to grow your brothers and sisters in Christ? Why are you sharing the gospel? Why are you making disciples? Why, why, why? Confusion. Others will not be pleased. They'll not just be confused. They will, they will push you away. They will... They will hate you, not because you're being hateful to them, just the opposite. If you pursue Christ as your covering, my beloved, then the light of Christ is gonna shine through you. And when the light of Christ shines on those in darkness, they what? They hate it. And suddenly your new life now is, is a living conviction to their sin. They know that Christ is the covering, but they refuse to go to him. Years ago, I had a, I had a former student from a, a liberal Jewish family and she came to a saving grace in Christ and her, 
her life was truly turned upside down, absolutely transformed life in Christ. I mean, very serious about following the Lord, and, and, and her family hated her for it. Um, not because she became judgmental, but she said, I'm not, I'm not going to participate in that anymore. And, and it, they weren't even upset that she wasn't participating. They were upset because it revealed the sin in their life. But she took the risk of being alienated by her family to, jo- to join the family of God. She took the risk of her parents saying, you're no longer our daughter, which they actually said to her, you're no longer our daughter, in order for God to say, you are my daughter. The risk was worth it. We must be like Ruth, and we must take the risk of faith. That means moving beyond what you can see, what you can touch, what you can control, and actively and intentionally with your whole heart putting your trust in Jesus. Putting your trust in who? In your Redeemer, in your true husband, in the greater Boaz. You see, in order for Boaz to bless Ruth, Ruth had to put her faith in Naomi's plan and she had to go and ask Boaz for his hand in marriage. It was a long shot at best. At best. But Boaz had heard that she was a worthy woman and he said yes. Friends, when you... When you go to Christ and you ask for his hand in marriage, even though he's already asked for yours through faith, when you say, I want to be part of the bride, the church, you must know that according to God's perfect standard of righteousness, you are holy and completely unworthy. I wouldn't say it's a long shot. We would say it's an absolute impossibility that any of us marry Christ because of our sin. But just like Boaz, God got a word that sinners have been made righteous by Jesus. God, like Boaz, also heard that through the blood of Christ, sinners like you and me can be washed of our sins completely, receive the righteousness of Christ, and what? Be made worthy to be his bride, to be a son or daughter of God Most High not because of anything we've done, but because of his perfect righteousness. And that means the worthiness of Christ is waiting. It's waiting for you. It's waiting for you to go, to ask, to seek, to knock. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, remember what Jesus said? He said, if He said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And then he said this, for everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. It's waiting for you. And unlike Boaz, who could have said no, God never turns a person away who asks and seeks and knocks for Christ. Ever. I mean, what a glorious message that is. Romans chapter 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will what? You will be saved. You will be covered. You will have rest. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. No more nakedness in Christ. The covering of Christ overcomes that. By taking the risk of faith, by believing in Jesus with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you will hear Jesus say to you, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. He'll say that to you. 
if you seek it. He is man's only redeemer. He will say to you, yes, I will cover you. I'll put my wing over you. I'll put my garment of righteousness over you. And I will make you mine. That's what this love story is supposed to tell us. That Christ, as the greater Boaz, wants you that much too. We all need these coverings desperately. The worldly coverings do not cover you. They only distort and they pervert. Hollywood promises fame. Tens of thousands flee to that city to find fame. Most never find it, and those who do find themselves ruined as well. Wall Street promises you what? Financial security and success. Millions each year put money places they ought not, and they lose everything, becoming destitute like Ruth and Naomi. And those who do succeed, well, then they no longer need God. Silicon Valley, the tech capital of the world, it promises us, it would argue the ultimate covering, better than fame, better than money, always innovating, always on the cutting edge, always moving society forward, this place. I've been here for 52 years, and I can tell you that Silicon Valley, the technology, has not made this a better place to live. It's neighborhoods now without neighbors. It's households where both parents have to work 50 to 60 hours a week just to pay rent. It's children, if there are any in the home, it's children spending so much time alone and often ending up in a broken home. The coverings the world offer, they fail every single time. Only Christ has a covering that lasts. Only Christ has a covering that's free and only Christ has a covering that will do you any good on the day of judgment when you stand before God to give an account for your life. All right, so in light of this passage, I want, I want to encourage you to identify and then take off all those ridiculous coverings in your life that you use for protection and provision and worse yet, eternal life. Identify them, confess them, and take them off. However they have affirmed your worthiness in this world, they cannot deal with your sin, and you know that. Take them off and put on the garments Jesus offers freely by grace through faith. Take the risk of being misunderstood. Take the risk of being alienated by family and friends. Take the risk of putting your faith, I'm talking about your whole life, all your trust, all your hope, all your dreams in this one Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Take that risk, and my beloved, if you do, you will not be sorry. He will cover you now, and he will cover you for eternity if you ask and seek and knock for Christ. Put your hands in the greater Boaz, and then you'll, you will, like Ruth, you will close your eyes, and you will rest you will, like Ruth in her heart, you'll rejoice. You will rejoice as we had a chance to hear Isaiah 61.10. You will say this, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. You're that bride if you're in Christ. And that is your future. Amen?
<laughs> let's, let's pray. What a story, Lord. What a story because it's our story. I, I thank you that you put it in narrative form that we see it played out between Ruth and Boaz and Naomi, but I'm so much more thankful that it's our story in Christ. That Christ is our redeemer has come and he tells us if we ask and we seek and we knock, we have him. Oh Lord, I pray if there's any soul here this morning that has heard this and does not truly know you, I pray today would be a day where they, they hear you say yes to them. That they would recognize they are not worthy, but you can make them worthy in Jesus' blood. I pray that you would cause them in love to ask and seek and knock and hear Christ say, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. And for those of us who are in Christ, Lord, I pray this would be just a great encouragement that it would, it would set a clicking to our heels and a skip in our step because we are so radically loved by such a great Savior. Father, do that. I pray for us that we might be blessed with true protection and true provision now and forever. And as always, Lord, I pray you would do that because if you, if you cause our hearts to soar, you'll be glorified. So do that for your glory in our lives, I pray. Do that here in this church. And I ask, Lord, you would do that in all your true churches throughout the world. In Christ's holy name, amen. Thanks for listening. Christ Community Church is a Reformed Baptist church in San Jose, California. If you'd like more information on our church, please visit lovinglord.org. From there, you can find service times, weekly gatherings, our sermon archive, and other resources. For video content, please visit our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you again for listening.